Okay, and welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. I'm Mike Prada. As you all know, Ben Epstein is gone for the month. He is on his honeymoon after getting married this past weekend. So everybody say congratulations to Ben. But our series rolls on with our look at each team uh, coming into this season. And today we will be talking about the Atlanta Hawks, a team that went through a lot of changes this summer. Maybe not changes for the good, uh, but so the Al Horford's out, Dwight Howard is in, and joining us today, we have Brad Rowland. He is the uh, editor at SB Nation's Hawks site, Peachtree Hoops. He also hosts a podcast of his own, the Locked On Hawks podcast. Going to be an interesting podcast talking about a lot of uncertainty. We don't really know what to make of this Hawks team, good or bad. So, But before you do anything, do me a favor, subscribe to the show on iTunes. It's uh, the Limited Upside Podcast. You can leave us a review. Hopefully, it's five stars. If it's not five stars for some reason, let us know what we could be doing better. And, you know, we take constructive criticism, and I want to stress constructive. You know, we want to be better, and we are looking for ideas for what we want to do for this year. So let us know. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Limited underscore Upside. You can always email the show with questions about a specific team that's upcoming in our countdown or about anything, we will get to them and help dictate the show. But anyway, it's time for the Atlanta Hawks Talk with Brad Rowland. This is the Limited Upside Podcast. Shut up and sit down. All right, it's the Atlanta Hawks, and we have Brad Rowland from Peachtree Hoops, uh, the SB Nation Hawks blog, and the Locked On Hawks podcast. And Brad, when we were sitting here last year, we were thinking about how do the Hawks follow up on this 60-win season where they had this great chemistry and were such a fun team to watch. A year later, a lot has changed, and we'll go into the offseason in a little bit, but first there was a kind of a weird season before the off season, you know, do I have that read right? Was the Hawks season as weird to Hawks fans as it felt like it was to me? Yeah, it was definitely an odd one, uh, especially coming off sixty wins, and that was odd in a different way because uh, I think nobody, uh, nobody, at least that had their head on straight, saw sixty wins coming right. the previous year. So I think everybody expected regression, but at the same time, there was uh, that weird part in the middle of the season where the Hawks looked like they might trade everybody. Uh, so that kind of threw a little wrinkle into things, and it was a, a largely, you know, interesting season. The second half was good. The first half was kind of rough, and they ended up kind of where I thought they would, but not in the same way that I thought they would with forty eight wins so it was certainly an odd an odd campaign uh, especially kind of knowing or at least having a feeling on my end that the things would be getting weird uh, after the season towards the summer so it was kind of had that ominous feeling and then of course facing off with the Cavs at the end of the year uh, and and, it, and the fact that it ended in really the same fashion to the year before kind of brought things full circle but it was it was very strange I would say for about 60 percent of the year they look a little worn they look like the league has kind of figured them out Kyle Korver's really struggling with his shot he had the ankle surgery in the summer and it looked like kind of their style was kind of picked up by a lot of teams and then there was like you said it almost felt like they were weighing whether to blow this thing up uh there were Jeff Teague rumors or Al Horford rumors really it looked like they might trade everyone and then they don't and then it's literally it almost as if as soon as the trade deadline passed they take off they have the best 
defense in the league in the second half of the year. And they probably are playing better than any East team entering the playoffs. And then, of course, like you said, it ended at the same at the hands of the Cavs as usual. But now in thinking about the summer, it almost feels like the trade deadline was a precursor to what the drama that happened this summer. Yeah, it certainly was. I think again, I almost expected something to happen in this way. I don't think anybody foresaw, you know, Dwight coming to town. But I thought there was a decent chance, if nothing else, that the Hawks would sort of blow things up, at least from that original core, given that they had to make a decision at point guard. That was always coming, whether whether it be Teague or Dennis Schroeder heading out of town. One of those was always going to happen. And then they had the, the looming decision with Al Horford. So, I, I mean, I, I was kind of advocating at the deadline for them to sort of move on from the core, considering I didn't think they were, there was really a chance they were going to be able to make any real noise in the playoffs last season. But they held on to it. That sort of paid off in the way that they did, that they were playing better as you said but uh given the fact that it ended so poorly uh, against cleveland that kind of i think told the organization they had to make a change in order to reach their ultimate goal and while uh, i'm you know i may not agree with all the changes they made there was certainly time for one i thought so uh you know they almost prolonged the inevitable it's really a few more months that i probably would have won and they might have gotten a little bit more value in the trading trading horford at the deadline instead of letting him go to free agency etc but uh it was basically the same thing that happened three four months later than that probably should have happened in february are you surprised they didn't keep Al Horford? A little bit. Um, I thought the most likely scenario heading in the offseason was that they run it back uh, and, and potentially trade Teague. I thought I thought Teague was going to make way to Schroeder um, for better or worse. I think Teague is a better player than Schroeder, but the fact that Schroeder is much younger and will be a restricted free agent at the same time Teague would have been unrestricted kind of made that decision easy for them. And Teague was always a guy who Budenholzer I always thought didn't have full trust um, in Teague. So that was kind of a, a move I expected. But uh, Horford, I personally would have just re-upped. I know that's not a, a popular opinion in Atlanta, especially because Al is sort of a polarizing figure uh, locally. Uh, nationally, I think a lot of people just kind of recognize that he's very good and underrated. But locally, he got the stigma of not being a guy who was quite you know quite good enough to take the team to the next level. And he's sort of boring. Uh, I, I love Al, but he's a, he's a boring player. Uh, so a lot of a lot of the local fan base probably was kind of uh, tired of that uh, that iteration of the team i would have done that and just brought him back if i was making a choice so but i wasn't shocked they moved on i was a little surprised uh, given that they didn't trade him that they didn't just sign him because i think they had to know that he was going to get a max offer somewhere else uh heading into the offseason so if they didn't want to either you know match that or go beyond it to that full five-year max i think they probably should have just traded him because that i mean horford maybe they overestimated al's uh, i guess loyalty or willingness to take a pay cut to stay but i don't know why they would have done that considering his age and the fact that he had just played on a five-year deal for $60 million total that was a bargain the entire time. So I'm not sure why Al would have taken less money. So it's a situation where they probably they overplayed their hand and thought maybe Al would come back on a discount. Once it was clear that he wasn't going to do that, they made other plans. Yeah, it was, it was a little bizarre. Now, maybe they got no good offers at the deadline. And sometimes the deal you don't make is better than the deal you do make, especially if maybe they're adding long-term money. But it was it was definitely a little bizarre to hear the reporting that they weren't just going to max him out. They were a few million dollars short. They weren't willing. Because with a player of that caliber, like you said, in a market of the way the market was, he was going to get as much as he possibly could from other teams. And there were multiple other teams offering as much as they possibly could for him. And so it was a little bizarre to hear the reporting that they didn't give Horford the full Mac five-year max. Uh, I wonder if maybe they were kind of always looking to move on and this was sort of a way to save face. I mean, is that 
it's hard to know exactly what was going on, but I mean, does that theory hold any water to you? It certainly crossed my mind just because it sort of seemed like a very bizarre line in the sand to draw to say that they were offering him, you know, they were offering him five years by the end, according to the reporting that was out there. But it was only like it was a difference of like, you know, a a million or two per season by the end. And that just seems like kind of a bizarre place to draw the line on a five year guy for your franchise player. I mean, you can argue whether Paul Millsap is better than Al Horford, but Al's been the guy there for you know almost a decade now. So it was uh, I think there's some some credence that could be uh, placed into that. I think that the Hawks might have felt that this was so they, they sort of reached the ceiling with that group and wanted to move on. Uh, I would have actually preferred a rebuild if they were going to get rid of Horford and kind of and that was the plan all along. I'm not sure I would have gone with the way that they did with signing Dwight Howard, but it's certainly possible this that the organization looked ahead and saw Al, you know, this contract was probably going to be bad for Al. I still think it might be for Boston, although it's a year shorter. Uh, you know, the fifth year, especially in that uh, on his on a five-year max contract for Al Horford probably would have been pretty rough at age 34 so there's there's a value proposition there but in the end if they wanted to keep him they would have kept him i think they were probably eager to move on even if they didn't they wanted to save some face and tell everybody that you know they that they gave al a big offer and they did but uh in the end it seemed like it was uh you know al made the decision he took less money guaranteed to go to boston and uh you thought it's not, it's not as if boston's that much of a better situation than atlanta for him to be leaving a place where he uh, called home for a decade so i think it probably had something to do with the hawks wanting to go in a different direction I might disagree a little bit about Boston being a better situation than Atlanta at this point. Just, I mean, they did have the same record, and one has a, a different growth trajectory. But you, you're right; he is kind of Mister Atlanta, uh, and his game I felt slipped a little bit last year. You know, he started shooting more threes, which was good for him, but I didn't think he quite played with the same defensive force, the same offensive capability. And so maybe there is some logic in saying that if he's already starting to maybe decline by a quarter of a step then maybe the decline will be steeper. You mentioned, though, that you wish the Hawks fully rebuilt, and that is not what they did. They did trade Jeff Teague for a first-round draft pick that they used on Torian Prince, turned the team over to Schroeder. That perhaps was a rebuilding mood, but then they signed Dwight Howard. It does feel like the Hawks are sort of one of those never-rebuild markets where you can't really fully commit, but now they're, also, they're kind of caught in between two ways. They may have either rebuild a year too early or a year too late. And then they also have Paul Millsap's contract coming up next year, and that was sort of interesting that there was a period where there, it looked like they might trade Paul Millsap. I mean, how how do you feel that that sort of relationship is at this point? And, you know, what, what does this all mean for Millsap's future? Because I think that's the next domino to fall. Yeah, it was very odd just the way that they did. They have a lot of guys. In addition to Millsap, they have a bunch of other guys who are going to be free agents at the end of the season. So signing Dwight was you know, sort of a stopgap move. Uh, I kind of agree with you. This is a never-rebuild market in Atlanta. They know that. I think they're really terrified of, of putting a bad product on the court because of the fact that this is a pretty fickle fan base. It's already not a great fan base anyway. And if they're bad, it can get very, very ugly in terms of ticket sales and filling that building up. So that certainly plays into it. Where they, well, they, they'll never admit that, but that certainly plays a part in the decision-making. I think in a, in a different market, if they have more diehard fans, more season ticket holder fan base, they might have gone in the rebuild direction um but dwight's gonna put some butts in seats that's gonna happen and uh, you know Millsap's the next domino i, I would have because of the fact partially because of the fact that paul's gonna be a free agent i would have probably gone that rebuild direction again because now that you've signed dwight I don't, I don't think dwight's gonna get better as he ages he's not really the profile of a guy who's gonna get better in that way and paul 
uh, being that he'll be 32 years old when, when he hits free agency, is not going to be uh, super willing to take a discount again, I don't think, especially after the fact that he was dragged through some trade rumors, both at the trade deadline and during the whole Al Horford, Dwight Howard thing in early July, where Paul was on the market by all counts, and uh, he was not particularly pleased about it. I don't think Millsap's the kind of guy who's going to hold a grudge in terms of his play on the court. He's a very professional guy. He's going to kind of put his head down and play hard. But I don't think he'll forget the fact that the Hawks dangled him in trade rumors. And uh, he has an opportunity to opt out. He's almost certainly going to do that unless he has an injury plague season or something like that. If he's as good as he was last year or anything close to that, he's going to be a free agent. And the Hawks are going to be facing another decision on a guy who's going to be 32. And I love Paul. He probably is going to age pretty well given his skill set. But uh, do they want to give him a four or five year max contract at 32 years old? That's probably going to be a bad deal. So they kind of they kind of back themselves into a corner, I think, a little bit on this one. And that a year from now, they're going to have to make another big decision. And now they have Dwight Howard signed for two years beyond that as a guy who probably isn't going to get better. So they, they're trying to do that the rebuild without rebuilding thing. And I get why. I just don't know how much upside there is in it. If I'm Millsap, I'd be a little upset too. He carried the team last year, I thought, and he was – it's sort of cliche to say that he's the underrated superstar of this league, but he kind of is the underrated star of this league. And his reward was to be put in trade rumors, and I can understand him being a little upset. But Dwight Howard is the new addition that we've sort of danced around, and let's kind of hit this head on. So – it doesn't sound like you're particularly optimistic that Howard will rebound to be somewhat even close to the Dwight of old. Is that a correct read? Yeah, I think so. I think he'll be better than he was uh, a year ago. Part of that is just the situation in Houston was so toxic. That's pretty clear. You'll hear a lot of that locally here as an excuse or uh, something to project a bounce back for Dwight. I think it's conceivable that if he buys in, that's the big question is whether he actually buys in or whether he's just saying the right things because Dwight's off-court personality stuff is well-documented. He's very very, uh, enigmatic, I would say, to put it kindly about Dwight. Um, but I, if he buys in, then it can work. There's no question about that. I think Mike Budenholzer has earned the right of uh, to kind of be respected in the fact that he can get something out of Dwight that uh, previously Houston couldn't get out of him. But at the same time, he's a guy who's 30 years old and with some health problems and with a game that does ne- that was never going to age well. He's not the tallest guy in the world. You know, Dwight's depending on who, who you listen to, he's probably six nine, six ten. As a, as a true center, he's obviously not a power forward by any stretch, so um, he's not really the most skilled guy in the world. Uh, he's, he's obviously a quality defender when he's healthy, but he's lost a step or two already on that end. And the fact that he doesn't really shoot the ball well, there's space, and the Hawks are going to have some uh, decisions to make on how they want to play around Dwight. But even if they can maximize him, uh, it's a three-year deal, and I can't imagine by year three he's, he's still going to be uh, a star-level player. Even if he becomes that in year one, you know, two years from now, that's two more years of full mileage of a guy who came straight out of high school and um, you know his track record of uh, wearing out his welcome is also something that you have to keep in mind of as well. So I just think ultimately the contract might look okay. They didn't get he didn't sign for the full max. It's about twenty four million a year, which seems like a lot of money. But again, you know you know this in this cap environment, that's not as insane if they can get what they uh, think they're going to get out of him. I just don't think it's the the wisest move in the world, and I don't think he's ever going to be able to fully recapture that star upside that he used to have. Yeah, I'm I'm also kind of bearish on on what to expect from Dwight. But here's the case. There is a basketball case for him, and it would probably go something like this. It would talk about last year was just a chemistry disaster, and some of the stuff that he gave away uh, in terms of his defensive rim protection, in terms of his, the way how hard he played, may have been affected by just being demoralized from James Harden and that whole situation. Uh, 
going to Atlanta, there's certainly two things that you know he can provide that the Hawks were very bad at the last two years. One is rebounding. Hawks were, I think, probably the worst rebounding team in the league. Dwight Howard is a great defensive rebounder, and he can even get offensive rebounds. That'll certainly solve that. And the other thing would be that if he is locked in to rolling to the rim and kind of devoted to that, which you know is an open question. And some of the stuff I've heard does not make me sound all that confident. He's talking about a mid-range jumper, a little <laughs> bit, which I think is a little weird. Uh, I, I'm not sure I'm hearing all the right things right now, but if he's able to do that, the Hawks did not have anyone who could kind of roll the basket. And so what happened to their offense last year is teams would just kind of duck under a lot of their actions and just kind of confine them to just passing the ball around the perimeter and just shooting threes. There was no penetration to the basket. And then you, you also factor in that one – Better coaching culture. You mentioned Mike Budenholzer deserves a benefit of the doubt, and I agree with that. The other thing, too, is that with regard to Dwight's health issues, the Hawks now have this exclusive partnership with P3 They right now. do they? It's basically like an athletic performance center that work focuses on rehabilitating injuries. I, I'm probably pr- kind of describing this not as complete as I should. No, that's, that's, that's right. You're right. <laughs> so a lot of NBA players work with them, and – uh, including Kyle Korver. And so now the Hawks, I believe, have some sort of it, – it's based in Atlanta now, and there's some sort of exclusive partnership. The optimist point of view – and, I, again, I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here because I'm with you. The optimist point of view is that, well, if Dwight can get it within that program, maybe they can discover things about his body that can make his body kind of hold up a little bit more as he ages. And you might get a more he- healthy and more effective Dwight Howard in Atlanta as that happens now. Again, I'm playing devil's advocate because I'm kind of a little bearish on how this is going to work as well. But what do you think of kind of those points in Dwight's favor? Do you do you feel like there's a legitimate chance that those end up tipping the scales in the right direction? Yeah, there's a, there's a chance of it. I think there's certainly a scenario where this thing works in the way they want it to on both ends of the court. It's just I think it has to go so perfectly that I don't want to bank on that happening. Offensively, the point about him rolling in the rim is is absolutely right, and that's what they want him to do. Budenholzer was asked um, at media day about Dwight's jump shooting. That's been a popular thing in Atlanta as he posts all these videos and things and talks about shooting shoot jump shots, and Bud kind of almost laughed it off like, uh, he didn't really want to talk about that. Like I, I got the feeling being there firsthand that uh, I don't think Budenholzer really is buying into the Dwight jumper thing, but Dwight's <laughs> buying into it. Uh, that's me reading the tea leaves, but I don't think the team wants him to do that. Maybe if he could add a reliable 10-footer, that would be nice. But like him being suddenly a, a space guy is not going to happen. No, I, I would, I'm with Budenholzer on that one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But you know, if, if he buys in, that's always the thing about Dwight. If he, if he really wants to play the part of a role man, that's something the Hawks haven't had in a long time, of a dominant center who can really play pick and roll and just dive to the front of the rim. Budenholzer said that a couple of different times in his address at Media Day. Is that's something they want him to do. Uh, uh, he'll get an, the occasional post up just to probably keep him happy, but uh, it's really about whether he buys in or not. On, and on the defensive end of the court, the rebounding thing is the biggest thing. I would say that's something the Hawks have been saying over and over again since they made the move, and that's the one point that we kind of know ahead of time that Dwight is better at than Al Horford. He is a much much better defensive rebounder, and the Hawks have been awful at defensive rebounding. 
I think some of that is scheme related and Bud's the first person to say that. Um, I, but at the same time, it's, it's always, it's only partially scheme related. A lot of it was playing so small with Howard. I mean, with Horford and Millsap in the front court, um, both those guys are good players and great players at times, but it's not, neither one of those guys that I would say is a strength as, as a defensive rebounder. And that's probably Horford's biggest weakness. So that's something the Hawks are certainly banking on being an improvement uh, on that end of the court. So you can sell me on that. The P3 thing, um, it's going to be a year away. They're building it right now. Oh, okay. So they're, okay. They're, uh, I know that's that's something that people keep asking me about as well. And they announced it and it's all happening, but they well, have to build the way, building. They're, they're still pretty tied into P3 now. Oh, it certainly. It may not be yeah. quite, as, quite as easy to access, but you know, I imagine that, that their relationship will help Howard in that regard in some capacity. Yeah, I mean, and, and uh, you, you mentioned Kyle Corver. Paul Millsap's also a client of P3. There's a couple guys on the team who've really been working with those guys. And if they have, I'm sure they have a plan. That's uh, I would bank on the Hawks uh, being being bullish on his health prospects in order to sign him to this contract. Um, maybe if they think they can get him into the program and sort of rehab. It's really I'm more worried about the back than the knee thing. He's had both, but the back stuff for for a big man really worries me. And Dwight's not a guy who can afford to slip a ton athletically. I mean, I think he already has a little bit. I think he slipped a lot. Honestly, yeah. I mean, I think it's all also connected, right? I mean, the body is one mechanism, organism. You know, the back and the knee—they're all—they're all related. And wouldn't the hope be that if he goes to P three, kind of fixes his entire body composition and habits, that would help everything? Yeah, you would think so. And I. I just think defensively they're going to have to change stuff anyway. Even if he is healthy and they're hoping that he is, I don't think they can play the same attacking, you know, switching defense that they played at the end of last year when they were when they were so good defensively because that relied so heavily on Millsap and and Millsap and Horford being so mobile in the front court. Dwight's not mobile like that anymore. He's going to be more of a guy who stays close to the basket. Uh, he can he can certainly turn it on at times to fly out on the perimeter, but he's not going to be nearly as mobile as Horford was on a regular basis. So Bud's already talked about having to adjust some scheme stuff there so it's kind of a wait and see thing for me if the best case scenario if you talk me into it then yeah it absolutely can work and part of that's going to be uh, tied to how Howard plays offensively with Dennis Schroeder who's another x factor we talked about earlier a little bit um but if everything goes swimmingly then sure it's just there, there's so many ifs and ands and buts that I'm I'm just not quite as sold on it as a lot of people are locally a lot of people locally look the casual fan they see Dwight Howard he's from Atlanta they see that he's he's a very very famous basketball player the Hawks haven't had that star quality in quite some time and I think Horford's a better player but Howard's more famous and a lot of the fan base is going to identify with that so that probably has something to do with it too if we're honest even though they won't say that well, I hope that answers your question. We got a question from Jur S. That's his Twitter handle, and there are about seven hundred numbers, and I'm not going to repeat because I I'm already confused. His question is, <laughs> can Howard be reborn with the Hawks? And I think that that pretty much covers it. The question is, maybe, but probably not over a fifty percent chance. So, you know, hopefully that answers that. And the other thing that the thing that's so weird and interesting about this team, the Hawks, that I, I have trouble figuring out is kind of what you're touching on that. They have to change how they play. They're not going to look like the Hawks that we think of from the last couple of years with this spread the floor, these mobile big guys playing this really aggressive trapping defense and and kind of this egalitarian like move the ball and all this shooting offense. You know, it's not Dwight obviously is the biggest change. You, you can't expect him to kind of be out trapping the ball like he did, like Millsap and Horford did. But it's also Dennis Schroeder is sort of a a different kind of point guard than Jeff T, a guy who attacks the basket very very, very aggressively and very not nearly as subtly as Jeff Teague does. So the entire 
composition of the team is going to change. So what's your best guess on like kind of what style of play this team will have? It's really going to be interesting. Uh, the Schroeder stuff, I've been focused on that pretty much the whole time. As you know, a lot of people have judged me for thinking that the Hawks downgraded at center, but my overall point and kind of predicting some regression for this team uh, is a lot of it has to do with point guard and that uh, I think Dennis has has some high upside, but he's a very, very raw player still and a very volatile player. Like His highs are high, his lows are very low. Whereas Teague, uh, is, for as inconsistent as he used to be, he's kind of he's kind of changed that in, in recent years, and he was very, this is, he was a much safer option than Schroeder. Uh, he basically played the, the Hawks the Hawksy way that Budenholzer wanted to play. Whereas Schroeder thinks he's the best player on the court at all times, uh, for better or worse. He's very very confident, and he thinks he can go out and score and get to the rim on anybody. And he thinks he's a shooter, and he's not a shooter. And there's you know there's, there's some high upside stuff there again, but uh, it's going to be very interesting to see. I think you'll see more pick and roll. They want they've already been talking about more pick and roll offensively because that plays into the, to the strength of both Schroeder and Howard. It's just whether or not both of those guys want to do what they're supposed to do on a regular basis. And uh, for me, you want a lot of shooting around Howard, especially, and because Schroeder's not a shooter in his own right. Schroeder's not a shooter. That actually sounds funny to say. Out he's, loud. A, he's a he's a Dennis Misser. Yeah, I just he's not he's not a <laughs> he's not a shooter. No, it's fine. <laughs> I had to I had to get that one off. It's just fine. Uh, he's not a shooter, and the fact that the fact is, like, for as much as people think about the Hawks as being this this good shooting team, last year they were not a good shooting team, and right now I make this point a lot: is that Kyle Korver is the only guy on this roster that you absolutely know is an above average three point shooter. There, there are guys who you think are. I think Kent Bazemore made some strides last year. Uh, Millsap's a really good option at power forward in terms of stretching the court. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. looks like a shooter, but he really has not been one in the NBA. There's a bunch of guys who are around and can kind of provide some space, but I think ideally you want a lot of shooting on the court, and the Hawks don't have that much shooting kind of secretly. So it's going to be uh, – I'm worried a little bit about that because Dwight's at his best when he's surrounded by shooters, and there they will almost automatically be one non shooter and shrewder on the court and then yeah it's so it's such a best of a tongue tie but you know the overall point stands like they, they really need more shooting to kind of maximize uh Schroeder and howard in my opinion i should have gone with dennis driver I, i'm ashamed of myself of <laughs> he does do that. Uh, so this is why I'm, I'm kind of intrigued about this because because i agree with you when i watch dennis Schroeder play he's really erratic you know he just i feel like every time he's trying to kind of run 150 miles an hour at the rim Every single play, it seems like he's just kind of thinks one way. And but at the same time, you mentioned the the shooting thing. I think I'm curious what you think of this theory. I think what happened last year is that I sort of referenced it a little bit earlier. But teams kind of realize that like all the cute stuff the Hawks run, if you just kind of keep the ball in front of you, yeah, you might yield open shots and I think the Hawks still generated a lot of open shots I remember there being all this confusion about like well they're getting all these open threes why are they missing all these open threes and I think part of it is just that when the ball isn't going to the basket and back out it's not the same sort of rhythm threes and so they were open but they weren't in rhythm as much and they weren't off the same sort of good offense it was just too easy to kind of pack the paint and make them shoot the kinds of threes that it's not that they don't want to shoot them, but they're not quite in the same rhythm uh, as you would think with a good off with the word last year, when I think the Hawks had figured out ways to sort of tilt the defense and really kind of create openings. And now it was sort of like defenses were almost daring them, giving them the openings as a way of not creating better openings. But now that you have Schroeder there and Schroeder definitely attacks the cup. 
I almost wonder if maybe it might be better overall for the Hawks that Schroeder can actually collapse the defense a little better than Teague can, uh, and maybe that'll help the team. And it, it's also interesting that despite Schroeder's just erratic play, two things that are, were in his favor last year, one is that his net rating was much higher than Jeff Teague's. I believe the Hawks were eight points better uh, per 100 possessions with Schroeder in and about only one and a half with Teague. And the other one is that Budenholzer really believes in him. So I'm, I'm, it's almost like this is one of those cases where I'm questioning my own belief in a player because I'm with you. I see the way Schroeder plays, and I, I just wonder if that's an effective way to play point guard if you're a starter and not just someone coming in to change the pace off the bench. But there are a lot of metrics that point to Schroeder actually being the superior player over time. I'm kind of curious what you think of all that. Yeah, it's very weird with Dennis. Uh, I even like locally, I think a lot of people are, so, are sort of ready for the Dennis Schroeder era. He's a, he's a fun player. He's a person, a guy with personality. Whereas nationally, I think most of the guys that I follow, like yourself, uh, that kind of cover the league as a whole, kind of don't believe in Schroeder uh, because of how erratic he has been and kind of how inefficient he has been. Um, so it's that's a sharp divide, but uh, you know the the Hawks buy into Schroeder and they say all, all the right things. But last year there were so many times when uh, Bud kind of just buried Schroeder. Uh, it was to the point where I think it's it's sort of a love hate relationship there with those two guys, <laughs> and that Schroeder's so frustrating that they kind of get sick of him and want him to go away. But then when it, when he's good, they love it to the fact to the point where they well, they were even they would even play Schroeder over Teague down the stretch at times last year when Teague was healthy. Um, I've, overall, like kind of quietly, the Hawks bench was awesome last year from a net rating perspective, which contributes to Schroeder. I, I mean, he was a part of that to be really? sure. Yeah, it was, it was weird how good you a lot of the You don't think of them as a deep were. team, which is surprising. Yeah, that's why it's kind of weird to talk about because, I mean, guys like Tablas Apolosha had a great net rating last year. Mike Scott had a great net rating, which is bizarre. Like, he had a really good defensive rating, and he's not a good defender, so it's kind of weird. Uh, so, yeah, there was a few guys on the bench that really had good seasons from that regard, and... Schroeder, I think it was the better defensive player last year, which helped. Uh, Teague was very limited. He had some injury stuff. And while Dennis is not the greatest defender in the world, he is super athletic and very long and kind of gets into guys in a way that Teague didn't do a year ago. So I think a lot of the projection, if you like Dennis, is, is that you think he can be a good defensive point guard and the offensive inefficiency stuff, he'll have to potentially grow through. He, he still turns the ball over a lot. And as we talked about, he's not a shooter in any way. But it's it's a hit and miss thing. If he's as good as I think he's going to be, then things will be okay. But if he's not, if he doesn't get any of the uh, any of the efficiency stuff kind of ratcheted up, I think he's going to have good counting stats. Uh, so he'll be a guy that fantasy basketball players really like because he's going to have the ball <laughs> in his hands a ton. He led the team in usage rate last year by a pretty significant margin. Like he think he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. And the numbers are going to follow, but I just don't think they're going to be very efficient. And that's he's going to drive fans crazy. I think more of Schroeder is not going to necessarily be a good thing um, for for the fan base and, and for the team. I think they might find that, uh, especially if Dennis Schroeder doesn't you know improve a lot, even if it's just marginal improvement, he's going to be a player that it's going to be frustrating throughout the year. And they're going to have another decision here on Schroeder because a year from now he'll be a restricted free agent. And if he is, goes out and averages you know 18 points and eight assists a game. Uh, even if it's not efficient, somebody's going to offer him a buku of money. So that's another guy the Hawks have a decision on uh, a year from now. While it's it's restricted and they can max, that makes it a little bit easier. It's just another thing where this team could pivot in so many different ways. It's going to be interesting to see how that one plays out. I'm also kind of curious 
if Schroeder is always kind of blowing this layups, how Dwight Howard will feel about having to grab the ball off the offensive glass all the time instead of oh, getting he's, passes. Yeah, he's going to have to finish better. It's going to be rough if he doesn't. Yeah, so we didn't get a ton of questions on the Hawks. I'm not quite – I think we're recording this on a Sunday. kind of snuck up on people, so we understand. But uh, remember, you can always uh, send questions to the show. We do use it to help dictate the show uh, the show's structure. Uh, we do ask them. But in lieu of that, let's just hit a couple quick quick hitters about things we haven't talked about that. Uh, Kyle Korver kind of struggled this shot a lot uh, entering last year with uh, his ankle surgery. He started to pick up a little bit. Do you feel – are you worried that at age 35 we may have seen the best of him and he cannot kind of keep up uh, as a quality starting wing the same way he used to? Uh, I worry that we've seen the best of him for sure. I think that's probably definitely the case. You know, two years ago he was you know the best shooter in the league. Uh, I guess the non the non Steph Curry division uh, shooter of the league uh, when he shot I think like forty seven percent from three. Last year it dipped to forty percent and that was worrisome. He was pretty rough early on. Uh, he did have ankle surgery in the offseason before last year, and that is sort of the thing that people like myself who are optimistic on Kyle are holding on to as a reason why he struggled early on. Uh, once he got kind of back in the flow of things, he was uh, pretty darn good in the second half. I think he shot like 43% from three again, um, and that's kind of all he needs to do. I think Corver is a very underrated defensive player. Um, not a great defensive player by any means, but a good team defender. He's very long. He's very big. Corver uh, is maybe not the ideal starter at this point given his age, but uh, he's the best shooting guard the team has, uh, unless you count Kent Bazemore as one, but he's really playing small forward. So he's the best option, and I think they might be wise to dial his minutes back a little bit. They kind of did that a little bit last year where he was playing uh, somewhere in that 30-minute-a-game range. That might dip a little bit more this year, maybe down to like the 27-28 minute-a-game range. You might see a couple off nights for Corver. Mm-hmm. Uh, some extra rest. He, I think he played 80 games a year ago, and it was more out of necessity. They got pretty much nothing out of Tim Hardaway Jr. for the first like four months of the year. Uh, you'll see more of him, even though I don't. I'm not a big fan of Hardaway, but you'll see more of him. I would say and early, and the and team also invested two first round picks in, in wings that you could see by the end of the year. So maybe some less time uh, on the court for Kyle, but I think he'll be better in the uh, on, on a permanent basis now that he's healthy, had a full off season because he's the biggest in terms of guys I've covered up close. He's the most uh, routine oriented. Uh, that's what you know. Hear about hear that a lot about shooters, but Corver's routines are kind of legendary in Atlanta. And now that he can do that again all off season, um, I think he'll he'll be a little bit better than he was a year ago, even if he's not quite back to the level that he was two years ago. When he had that massive breakout, you know, all-star campaign. Kent Bazemore, what can he take another step forward? Uh, what's the big key for him to kind of taking on more responsibility after he had a good year last year? Yeah, Bazemore is kind of an, another pivot guy. We're talking about that a lot with a lot of players, but uh, Baze was great last year. He had a huge step forward kind of unexpectedly. Um, his shooting really waned down the stretch. It was like sub 30% for the final couple of months, which is worrisome. After he had a really a really good breakout um, in the first, I think, three or four months where he was shooting almost 40% from three, that's the pivot point for me. If he can be an above-average shooter, that'll be huge for his development. But I think you'll also see um, a little bit more creation from Kent. He'll have the ball in his hands a little bit more. Um, aside from Schroeder and uh, potentially Millsap sometimes, there isn't a lot of creation. That's something Corver doesn't do. He's not going to put the ball on the court and, uh, and really create for other people or himself. So Bazemore is going to have the ball, have more opportunities there. I think he's up for, up for a little bit of improvement there i just worry a little bit about the shooting and uh, at 27 having the breakout that he had last year there's at least some reason to worry that he could regress uh, slightly but i am i am a fan of baseball i like that contract 
Uh, I didn't think it was a, a, a much, as much of an overpay as a lot of people did. I just, uh, you know, he's only he's only proven it for one full season. So we'll it'll be interesting to see if he can do it again. So four years, seventy million is what he got. I think he. I was offered a little bit more from a couple other teams, but he's back in Atlanta. So that speaks highly of the Hawks culture. Uh, who will get the most minutes uh, at the backup big positions? Ooh, it's, it's all going to come down to Tiago Splitter's health. Uh, he's not, uh, as the, at the time of this recording, he's not debuted in preseason yet. He's been working out, but he missed the first two games. They're being very cautious with Splitter. I think he, when healthy, is the best big man on the team behind the two starters in Howard and Millsap. Um, it's just that he missed uh, last year. He missed the entire second half. He played 36 games before having hip surgery and splitters never been the most durable guy in the world. Um, so if he's healthy, he's the guy. But if not, uh, I would. Oh, man, I guess I'll go with Mike Scott, even though he's not really a true big. He does play power forward almost exclusively. So I think he's the choice. But uh, if you're talking about centers, if splitters not available, you could be looking at Mike Muscala, potentially Chris Humphreys, who's not really a center but could play some center this year. So in short, I, I'm uh, Hawks fans should be praying that splitter is healthy because the rest of the uh, backup center options are not ideal. Mm, okay, and last one is we all know about the famed Hawks University. They have a way of getting the most out of young or kind of developing players, uh, teaching them new skills. We've seen other previous graduates include Damari Carroll, uh, Bazemore you mentioned. Uh, there's several others. Who do you think will be the valedictorian of the next class of Hawks University? I love the question, by the way, before I answer it. <laughs> uh, it's, it's something that I love to talk about, Hawks University. But uh, I think they're hoping it's going to be Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, that was a trade that I absolutely hated as someone who wants the Hawks to do well. Um, that they traded a first round pick for Hardaway, uh, last year before in the, in the 2015 draft. And he basically was a no show for the first three months last year, uh, regularly catching DNP CDs as a guy who you just traded a first round pick for. Um, they're hoping it's him. I'm going to say that that doesn't happen. And I'm going to look in the direction of, uh, of Malcolm Delaney, actually a guy so who, is, who is Malcolm Delaney. I don't think a lot of people know who he is. Yeah, he's uh, he yeah he played college basketball at Virginia Tech, but it was uh, about five or six years ago. Uh, he's been in Europe ever since. He's 27. The Hawks signed him to a two-year, five million dollar or so contract this year to be what I think is going to be the backup point guard. The Hawks also signed Jarrett Jack, who's uh, a lot more famous than Malcolm Delaney, but they only gave him a one-year veteran minimum deal. And Jack's coming off an injury, so for my money, I think Delaney is going to be the backup point guard. Um, Wes Wilcox, the Hawks GM, has been uh, kind of chasing Delaney for a couple of years. Both he and Delaney both said that at media day that they've been trying to get him over for a couple of years now. And uh, I've watched a lot of tape on him, kind of preparing for the season. I'm, I'm really a big fan of his game. I think he's a very Hawksy player, uh, good, smart. I'm not not a pure, pure point guard, but a guy who can pass, a good shooter, um, a guy who's going to uh, compete defensively. And I think uh, getting him into Hawks University, I think he'll be a, uh, if not a great backup point guard, it's certainly an adequate one. Even though he's technically a rookie, he is 27 years old and. I think they definitely signed him to play right away. So that's a guy who's under the radar who I think is going to make a, a nice impact for the Hawks. So he's been overseas for five years uh, playing overseas. He's emerged as kind of one of the best uh, international point guards. He played for uh, Lokomotiv Kuban, a Russian team. He led them to the EuroLeague Final Four. That's a, an interesting poll. You also have uh, their two first-round picks in this year to look out for, uh, in Torian Prince and DeAndre Bembry. So should be interesting. Uh, you have to think that one of those players uh, will emerge uh, as a key player for the Hawks this season, just given their history. So... 
Now we've come to the prediction uh, part of this program, and it does not sound like to me that you're especially excited about this season. Uh, let me know <laughs> if that is reflected in your predictions. Like, are you are you predicting a big drop for this team? Uh, I think a, I think a drop is coming. Uh, the best case scenario, I think they could probably repeat somewhere in that 48 win range if everything goes right um, with Howard and Schroeder, as we talked about. But uh, in terms of a middle, like a uh, median prediction for me, I'm going to say they win somewhere in that 43, 44 win range, uh, which is basically you know somewhere in that seven seed range in the East. I think I'm lower than a lot of people are on the Hawks. I just didn't love the way things fit together in the off season, but. Uh, and for me, I've said this, and it's been controversial. I think there's certainly a scenario where the Hawks miss the playoffs this year. Um, that would be a shock, considering they have the longest uh, playoff streak in the Eastern Conference at this moment. Um, but if, if if power gets hurt or doesn't pan out, and if Schroeder doesn't progress the way they want it to, uh, things could get ugly. And they uh, by midseason, they could be looking to blow this thing up again. So I think uh, it's kind of a, a wide range of, of outcomes for Atlanta. But uh, I'll, I'll be safe in projecting somewhere in that 43 win range and like a six seven seed. It's going to be interesting because so last year, though they won 48 games, they had the expected win-loss of a 51-win team, if I'm reading this right. So they were a little bit better than their record. At the same time, they have made a lot of changes. And, I mean, it's just going to be kind of weird to see what kind of style of play they have. And we've talked a little bit about it, but it's just very unhawksy. Yeah, there's just there's just so many question marks that it's like it's so tough to pin down because until we've seen this team play on both ends, it's it's very odd to project a team that has a returning coach and a lot of returning players, but at the same time you know that they're going to change like almost everything they do on both ends of the court. It's bizarre. Yeah, and we haven't even mentioned Paul Millsap's lingering knee trouble where he's currently out. Uh, he just had a scope, I believe, uh, but that's sort of a temporary measure. So you have to wonder if that will factor in at all this year as well. I. I agree there's a chance they don't make the playoffs. I would say it's more likely than not that they stay in because they still do have an infrastructure. They still do have a culture. They have better depth than you would think, as you've talked about. Uh, And I think that there is a chance that the combination of Schroeder and Howard give them something different. They were 22nd in offense last year. And I'm not saying they're not going to be second in defense, I don't think, like they were last year. But it's possible that the offense will get better from just having someone who can attack the rim in some capacity. I would say, like you said, 43-42 wins in the bottom of the Eastern Conference playoff picture is probably most likely. Uh, but I think there is a chance they don't make the playoffs. You know, There is a chance that they're blowing their team up because there are a lot of sort of competing agendas going on here when you think about the timeline of the team. And so I wonder how that's going to happen. Also tossing in Millsap's knee trouble. There, it could be a rocky year, but uh, you know, we also, like you have said, this team has, you know, especially in the second half of the year, outperformed. They're pretty much a mainstay in the playoffs. They have Coach Bud, who usually is the kind of guy who can figure some of this stuff out. So I would say probably more likely they stay stick around the playoffs. But I, I agree that their days is kind of like a real threat in the East, as, as if they even existed, are kind of over at this point. Yeah, I sadly fear that you are correct. And, uh, you know, maybe everything will go right and they'll win 50 games, but I'd be pretty surprised. It's interesting. You think that op- there's more optimism locally than, than there is nationally for this team. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think a lot of that's Howard related. I think most I think the, the if you pick the average the average Hawks fan, they probably think that Dwight is a lot better than he actually is right now. And the same goes for Schroeder to a lesser extent. Um, I just think that 
Uh, a change was welcomed for a lot of Hawks fans that don't really appreciate the way that the Hawks have played over the last couple of years. Obviously, the 60-win team was a lot of fun for everybody because they were so good in a way that a lot of people didn't see coming. It was just that uh, after all this time, I think the uh, the, the the act about we're, we're very boring but actually entertained the basketball diehards thing that the Hawks have had for the last couple of years. Like their personnel is not exciting, but they play a fun brand of basketball that can only take you so far with the casual fan. It's just I, so I think a change is welcome uh, from those people's perspective. And if uh, once they see Howard, maybe they'll uh, change their tune a little bit. But uh, until until they see Howard as the, not the superstar that they probably think he is, I think locally uh, there's a lot of optimism. Well, that's interesting. It'll be it'll be interesting to watch. I I I'm definitely among those who enjoyed the Hawks kind of as a basketball entity and probably not the target audience that they're looking to expand into. So I understand maybe wanting to try to change things up. And it, it was sort of enforced upon them, given how successful the team was two years ago and how this is like kind of an odd timeline. But it should be interesting to watch. You know, Dwight Howard, maybe he really does have a lot more left than we think. And this is a as good a situation as any for him to bounce back. Uh, but, you know, it's also possible that he really is – doesn't have as much left as we may hope and he's kind of done so it'll be interesting to watch anyway brad roland thank you so much for joining us why don't you tell the people where they can find you yeah it's my pleasure sir and uh i am uh, principally a writer at peacetreehoops.com the atlanta hawks espionation site and i also host the locked on hawks podcast which is a, a five days a week look at the Atlanta Hawks. If you are a super diehard Hawks fan, that's probably the place you want to be uh, for uh, daily content for around the team. And I'll be uh, in the arena for what I expect to be every single home game this year, beginning on Monday night. So that'll be a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, also on Twitter at BT Roland, if you want to listen to me uh, rant about Michigan football, that's probably a good place for you to, for you, for you to go as well. But there'll be a lot of Hawks stuff there. too. Well, that Michigan football, it's not much to rant about after what happened uh, the other day. That is true. I know you're not a big football guy, Mike, but at the same time. Uh, I read the score. I saw the score. I also read the story about how there was some Ruth Chris Steakhouse uh, that said whatever, however much they win <laughs> by is the percentage you get off on your next meal. So They're going to be losing a lot of money this week. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a rough week for the Ann Arbor uh, Ruth Chris Steakhouse, I would say. But Well, they should have thought about that before they did this promotion. I mean, Michigan's going to be really good. They're going to win a it's lot of games Rutgers. by a lot. Yeah, it's Rutgers. That's that's the wrong time to unveil that. Anyway, we can talk about football later. But <laughs> that, that's what you get on my Twitter account. But uh, basketball stuff will be there as well. That's the extent of my football knowledge. So uh, I, I just impressed. saw that story. Um, maybe the Hawks will have some sort of promotion for uh, with Ruth Chris Steakhouse in Atlanta as well. They'll do weird ones, man. They had t- they had Tinder Night. The, uh, oh, that's not, right. Yes, not too long ago. They'll do some weird stuff with the Hawks uh, marketing team. They're they're pretty smart and innovative down there. Oh uh, yes, that's right. Actually, that's a good thing to end on. Like, what do you think is the unique uh, kind of giveaway that they're going to do this year? Oh, it'll have something. It'll be something off the wall. Like they'll do something with uh, I don't know. They'll do Twitter or Instagram or something crazy. Like Tinder. Tinder was kind of kind of blew up around the around the league. A lot of people kind of making fun of the Hawks and laughing with the Hawks that they were actually willing to do that. And it was a big success in the building. I've <laughs> been there. They did a bunch of these cool, funny videos. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know what it'll be because I'm not a creative person. But the Hawks, uh, you know, their Twitter account run by my my good friend Jared Wilson is also a popular one. The Hawks do great stuff on social media. Yes, there. yes, they have a great Twitter account. Maybe they'll do something with like like it's a superhero night and to kind of tie into Dwight Howard's nickname. I don't know. Something like that is yeah, that's probably a good idea. You should send that. You should send that suggestion to Jared. He'll probably capitalize on it. Jared, if you're listening, uh, just <laughs> yeah. give me my, just give me commission when I, when you guys do that. So. Uh, 
you know, that's all I ask, like some sort of credit uh, and a lot of money. That's it. Uh, <laughs> that's all. Anyway, this was, uh, it was a lot of fun. We uh, Coming up soon, we still have Boston is the next team on our list, and then we're looking at the Clippers. Uh, as you all know, Ben is gone for the month. He actually left for his honeymoon today. We are recording on Sunday, so wish him well. Uh, he probably won't see your well wishes, but when he gets back, it might be nice to have flood him up with, uh, you know, congratulation messages. He is at EpiBen. I am at Mike Prada SBN. The show is at limited underscore upside. And until next time, this is the limited upside podcast. <laughs> <laughs>